This is the Swamp Scott Library's Librarians by the Sea podcast, where we share our love of a good book with you. I'm your host, Caroline Margolis. Today on the podcast, we have Richard Linton to discuss his debut novel, North Korea Deception. Richard Linton is a professional actor, has studied languages, served as a captain and tank commander in the British Army in the First Gulf War, has worked as a UN television producer, and has poured much of his life experiences into his novel. His book, North Korea Deception, can be borrowed at the library. Hello, Hi. hello, hello. Hi, Karen. Thanks for having me. This is your debut novel, correct? North Korea Deception is my first novel. It is a it's a series called the Deception series, and North Korean Deception is book one in the series. So um, it's very exciting. Published in December, and so we're sort of three months into the game now. I'm finishing the edit for book two. Yeah, it's kind of an extraordinary experience. I don't really know where to start, so maybe I'll just hand it back to you. <laughs> How long have you been working on uh, the book for? So I began writing probably about 10 years ago and as an actor you know it was I always need something to do in between when I'm resting as they say in England English actors say I'm resting means you haven't got any work um so I began writing I I was reading Le Carre and Daniel Silver mainly at the time uh, maybe a little bit of Baldacci all those years ago and yeah so I started writing in those days uh, you know 10 years ago you couldn't it was very hard to well it wasn't really such a thing as self-publishing so I did start looking at agents and, and editors, and it was just almost impossible. You had to wait like months and months for, for them to reply. Anyway, so I just kept writing. So then I wrote a second book called, um, and this one was set in Bosnia. So the first one is set in London, Russia, Vladivostok, and Pyongyang, North Korea. And the second one is set in London and mainly Bosnia and sort of London, back to London. Yeah. So about 10 years two manuscripts, lots of edits, hundreds of edits and hundreds of versions. And then finally I decided during COVID, after, I sort of feel guilty when I say this, but you know, if it were for COVID, I don't think I would ever have got around to publishing these two books. So, you know, that was, it was actually sort of made me, because because there was nothing to do. So I thought I must just, there's two novels sitting on my laptop. I've got to get this done. So about 10 years and a rather long-winded way of answering your question. <laughs> That's funny that you said uh, Baldacci, because I was thinking of him while I was reading it. It does have that mystery thriller feel to it. Well, that's good. That's good because you know, when you're starting like I am, you, you need, um, and, and, and I say it's good because I had a little book sale, um, what do you call it? Signing in a local store recently. And, and the gentleman literally came up to say, Oh, that, this reminds me of, of, of Bal- this, this story. I forget which one, which book it was, but it was the Baldacci. And he said, I'll bring it to you. Bring it to you. <laughs> Next day he sort of left it at the, at the store for me because he wanted me to read the Baldacci thing was set in North Korea. But yeah, so, so, you know, definitely a genre, definitely a specific type of sort of page turning genre. Daniel Silver is the other one for me personally, who I just absolutely love, you know, all his novels are set in Europe, you know, different towns and cities that I've been to and you know that's what i enjoy reading and i enjoy reading the page turner um so so i'm glad you you mentioned baldacci because that's definitely the genre that i'm that i'm i'm heading for that i'm targeting how has the book evolved do you feel without any spoilers for people who want to read the book um after they listen to this podcast but uh how do you feel that the story has evolved over the years writing it so this particular story um north korea deception 
is actually pretty much as I, I wrote it originally. And I, I would say, so, you know, it started, started off with this guy, this, this journalist going through Russia and, you know, based on my own experience of studying Russia, I studied in Russia in 1987, 88 during the Reagan, Reagan Gorbachev summit. So I had all the experience that I wanted to use. And so it's a pretty simple story in the, in the sense that, you know, the guy goes to Russia and then he's sort of forced into going into North Korea and and then you know ending up at this this nuclear power plant and i won't won't say too much more but it, this particular story has remained the same but book two which is hyde park deception that's interesting in that i decided as i after i'd written it that i would give jack Steele the hero a brother a twin brother um so that did involve and I, i'm currently sort of just finishing up now before we publish in three or four months but uh, so the second one that is set in bosnia did involve a little bit of a rewrite which I'll never do again if I can possibly help it because it's really, really hard when you suddenly change quite a large part of the story uh, to make the guy have um, a twin brother and something, uh, you know, something terrible happens near the beginning of the of the book. Um, but North Korea deception pretty much as I wrote it. Yeah, because I do, I think in North Korea, yeah, I do remember him talking about a brother. Right. So behind the scenes confession is that, yes, I did, I did have to go through it, the first book. And I did have to, I'm glad you noticed, um, because I did have to actually put some references to his brother in, otherwise it would have kind of been a bit silly. And I think it, and, and having, having done the audiobook fairly more recently and actually listened to the audiobook, um, it works. I think it works, you know, so he's, he has got this brother and he was, Jack Steele, the hero, was in the British army to begin with before he became a British journalist. And that, again, is based on my time uh, during the war in Bosnia when there were, you know, 1,500 shells a day landing in Sarajevo. And we were whizzing back and forth across the confrontational and as a United Nations military observer. You know, that, that second book had to change considerably, but, but I'm, I'm, I'm happy with the outcome. Good, good. And then what is what would you say your writing process is like? Do you like to schedule time or just when you feel like it? Or So you mean the, the sort of day-to-day mechanics of it? Oh yeah. Yeah, I mean cuz cuz if you mean overall writing, I mean that's a whole that's a whole fascinating sort of topic which writers out there will know that you know it's 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 such a psychological sort of minefield of you know how I actually end up writing but the practicalities of it are I try and get up early 5 or 6 because as we all know as soon as the day starts things happen I'm also a film and television actor so I have auditions that come through and they say can you can you do this audition this morning so then that messes up my whole writing day if I'm sort of trying to write in the morning or the afternoon. But basically, I will definitely get up early and I, I just use that quiet time between, you know, 7 a.m. or 6 a.m. and sort of 10, 11. You know, if there's nothing going on, then I'll write till 11 or 12. So I think three or four hours a day is probably the maximum. I'll get out of myself, as I read today in an article, you know, if you do any more than that, it becomes sort of self-defeating because your brain is frazzled and you just can't really concentrate anymore. You know, I'll write, that's when I'm writing. If I'm editing the same thing, get up early. I find that there's that, I call it sort of power time when your brain is fresh. You know, if I, if I, sometimes I do write in the afternoon, if, if I have an appointment in the morning, but then by three or four, my brain is sort of frazzled again by six. I can't really do anything. So maybe I look at some Amazon ads at that time. Um, and then, you know, I'm a, I'm an early to bed kind of guy. So then, cause I like to get up so early at five or six, but for me, I have to have, here's the, here's the key thing for me personally, I have to have what I call personal admin, personal administration, as they used to call it in the British army. I have to have it all 
done and dusted is again, as we used to say, meaning all finished. So my emails have to be done. You know, bills have to be paid. Shopping has to be done. My desk has to be tidy. I really, and I've tried so many years, I've been doing it, you know, 10 years or more. And I've, I've tried to sort of do it the other way where you just let everything pile up and there's 200 emails you need to answer in your inbox. And I've just, whenever I've let it go for two or three days, I, the writing process itself is just, it's just clouded. And so I've realized over the years that I, if I just get every, all the admin done, you know, go to the letterbox, get all the mail, make sure there's nothing that needs to be done. The kids stuff, all right. I have two teenage boys. So make sure all their stuff is done. And so for me personally, as long as all my personal admin is in order, then I'm, I'm good to go. I, I can relate to that. I don't Art. know how some of these writers do it. I mean, you know, they, they like Mark Dawson, British thriller writer, and he's doing all these self-publishing lessons for people as well. And, and he, and, and I think he's, I, I know he says it turns out six books a year or something, four to six books. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm just much slower, but you know, I just don't know how some of these writers are so prolific. I mean, I think I'll be happy if I get, you know, one book out a year or maybe, or maybe one or two in 18 months. That's I think sort of my pace. Yeah. I can't believe some of these all, and some of them I've looked up and they actually do write it. They don't work with a ghostwriter. And I'm just like, yeah, I think Daniel Silva says he did, you know, cause he's done about 20 novels and I think he did, he aimed for one a year which which is sort of doable i would say because then because then as people know as you know you've got to then you've got to do your then you i have a i have a um once i've finished my my novel i have a beta reader or a, a sort of first pass reader like who's a friend who's really fantastic and she sort of picks up every single little thing that i missed and this doesn't fit and but you said that and then you use that word if you you know she's just incredible she's like a sort of legal nitty-gritty legal mind and then so there's that that takes obviously a few weeks. And then you've got an editor who's then going to, a professional editor who I hire, who then takes another one or two months to edit. And then you've got your proofreader who you also have to pay. Um, and and then, you know, so it, it just, yeah, it just takes amazing. It, it never fails to amaze me how long it all takes. You know, I've done one, I've done a book and I'm doing another one, but I still say to myself, I don't know how I did that. Like, you know, when I look at, when I see my book on Amazon and I, or the audio book even, I just think, and because the audiobook's another story, whole story, you know, that that is that was a really interesting experience. But you know, it just takes forever. So if anyone's writing out there wants to write, just know that you know it is a life, it's a life choice, it's a lifestyle choice. And you know, you do you lose friends and you you don't socialize as much because you want to, because it's your passion, because it's an art. Just know that it just takes forever. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned doing the audiobook a few times. How what was that process like? How different is it from acting? Ah, that's a great question. Um, it's much harder. <laughs> it's much harder and more laborious. So yeah, so my my little one of my little dreams, I shouldn't say little dreams, because I know little dreams. One of my dreams was to, you know, to be on Audible. And I used to listen to um, John Lee on doing David, Sil uh, Daniel Silver and I forget the um, I forget the other gentlemen's names, but you know, just just loved them. And I, and I, and personally, I like to listen to a book and read it at the same time because I might be zipping off in my car. I always wonder how many other people actually do that. I feel like there must be a lot of people who do that because it's just so much better when you can just you know. I, I rarely get a chance to just sit down and read, and maybe again early morning. Yeah, I, I almost exclusively listen to audiobooks. Yeah. Like every once in a while, I'll read books, but um, like I, I got your book on Chirp because um, yeah. we're hoping to get it at the library soon. I spent several, well, probably about three months recording it and you know, getting up early every day. But 
And, you know, one of my goals and dreams was for me to, to narrate my own book. I mean, you know, I can speak the languages. There's, there's a lot of Russian in my book. Um, and I just thought, you know, I have to, I have to try and do it. I'm, I'm an actor, but I'm not necessarily a narrator. Um, although I do voiceovers too, but anyway, it was really hard. <laughs> I had a course, I downloaded a course on how to, you know, set it up and the mic and what kind of mic and your studio and all those little sort of technical details that you would never you know know how to do unless someone absolutely explicitly tells you to um the, the guy's name that i use actually if anyone wants to do it um was derek dopka and he has this amazing course it's not even that expensive and he literally takes you through like 10 modules of how to how to record an audiobook so i literally you know, I printed out my script. I literally had to get up about five again, very early in the morning. So there was no sound, even though I'm in my studio in my basement, there's still people, you know, walking around upstairs later on in the day. Cause it was, cause it was COVID. So my, my two teenage boys were, were, you know, around. So, you know, it was just, you can imagine how long it takes to, to record 400 pages. And then, and, but here's the, here's the, I don't want to put anyone off, but here's the kicker. You, you spend an hour, say, recording a chapter. And then later, then in the afternoon, I would go upstairs and you have to edit it and you have to go through and you have to take out all those breaths in between each line. And, you know, like you just heard me breathe, you have to take that out when you're doing an audiobook. And that literally is like a one to four or one to five ratio. So if you record for an hour, you're going to have to spend four hours or three to four hours editing that. And that was the killer. And, and it just took forever. And then, but here's the, here's the one, one good bit. Once you've got that file, that audio file, you, you sort of get to lo upload it to, to, um, to ACX, which is, which is Amazon's audible, which is audible.com's version or audible.com. It's their platform where audiobooks are uploaded. It's called ACX.com. So then you get to load your chapter up there and they even, Here's the good part. They, they, they tell you if it's technically okay. So, so you get this little green light or a tick and, and that's great. So that gives you like an incentive because then you see one chapter, two chapter, three chapter. My, I think I had 30 chapters. So it is possible folks, if you want to do it, you know, you can even do something much shorter than I did. You have to record a whole novel, but it is possible to set yourself up for a few hundred dollars and record either a short story or, or a novel or a, or a nonfiction book. And, you know, and so you can get it up online and, and, and have it out for the world to see. But I really enjoyed it. Um, it was really satisfying to actually record, you know, and, and, and I'm particularly pleased because, you know, I do all the accents, French, uh, not French, Russian, American, English. And I just think it's fun. I just think people enjoy hearing a writer, you know, record or narrate his own book. Yeah, I, I mean, I thought you did a really great job with it. And the accents I find whenever I'm listening to an audiobook, I like the way that the the voice actors, how they like land on their different voices. And like, Maybe. I can tell if it's someone's good or bad by how similar they are. Uh -huh. And I thought you did a really spot. I think it might like, do you feel like it has to do with like, you know, these characters because they're like your children who <laughs> created them yeah, so you are better I, at knowing well, how they sound? Well, th you know, thank you. Thank you for the, for the kind words, but yeah. So, I mean, listen, you know, I'm not trying to pretend that I'm John Lee or George Guidel. I just remembered his name, the other great narrator whose voices I just love, you know, I haven't, I've got a sort of young, slightly higher pitch voice. And I was a little bit worried that, you know, would, would this work? Because, 
you know, it's a product and people are paying either one credit of their Audible account or 22 bucks or nine bucks on Chirp, I think it is. But so, yeah, I definitely, you know, could hear, obviously, because I wrote it, I could hear all the characters, hear all the sounds, and I knew how they would sound, the accents. Um, a lot of a lot of the dialogue is written, you know, when people talk like this because they're foreign, because they're the Russian. And so I could hear it, hear, hear that. And, um, you know, I think that so. So what I'm trying to say is I think that makes up for the fact that I'm not like a, a famous narrator. Um, I think people, you know, click in. Oh, they they know it's the author. Oh, okay. So so they give you a little bit of wee- leeway. Is what I'm trying to trying to say. I haven't got that deep, sultry, you know, voiceover voice. And then and then the other thing, of course, the other interesting thing is how do you do a woman's voice? So again, having listened to many audiobooks, you know, if you just if you just raise it a little bit, then people understand that this is a woman talking now. And and then that's all you have to do. You don't have to, you know, you don't have to go crazy. But um, again, I I just made up. All, I made that up as I went along, um, and you know it's 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 tricky, but I, I think it works for for um, for North Korea deception, and I'm probably going to do it unless Simon and Schuster calls and and, and offers <laughs> offers a large large sum of money. But I'm probably going to do it for Hyde Park deception as well. So your main character, Jack Steele, do you have a specific person who inspired that character? Or so Jack Steele is um, a British journalist in North Korea deception and he was in the British army. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's loosely based on, on me, I guess, you know, my travels in Russia and going to the Russian far East and landing in, you know, as I did as a student landing in um, Khabarovsk, which is Vladivostok near Vladivostok. Vladivostok was a closed city. Our, our, our KGB minder at college in, in Moscow said, no, Richard, you, you don't want to go to Vladivostok. It's six days on the train. And I said, that's the whole point. We want to go on the train for six days. And he said, no, no, it's closed city, closed city. He said, oh, okay, we go to Khabarovsk. And I said, where's Khabarovsk? And he said, oh, it's, it's near Vladivostok. You'll, you'll be happy. <laughs> so we, we did go on this, this six-day journey across Russia, which, which was really amazing and exciting. And we arrived you know, in Khabarovsk, which was like the snow-covered river and the Chinese mountains in the distance and North Korea, 20 miles to the east. And I just thought, sorry, 50. And I just thought, oh, wow, this has to be a setting for a novel. And, and, and there were fishermen on the ice, you know. So, so, so yes, you know, my hero, my Jack Steele is loosely based on me. My wife, when, when she was reading the book, sort of started, kept trying to sort of, you know, psychoanalyze me. Oh, I knew, I knew that's what you thought about that. Or, you know, she said, <laughs> I said, honey, this, this is Jack Steele. It's not me. It's not me thinking, but she was trying to sort of, you know, link every, every little habit and uh, activity that he does to me. And I said, no, 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 that, you know, I'm not telling you exactly what is, the, what is true and what is not true, but, you know, so, so <laughs> it's loosely based on me um and he's much more uh probably adventurous and brave than i am <laughs> how do you plan your characters motivations like why they're doing their actions it sounds kind of like an acting question to me that someone used to ask at, at theater school at drama school and so so which is kind of interesting because what someone told me for my acting was that I'm sort of an instinctual actor. And I think my, I think my writing is similar. I mean, I, I feel like I just have a basic structure of each, each chapter. And then I just, I don't know, I just start writing and, 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 and I, I guess I see it. People have said that North Korea deception, deception is a little bit like a, a Robert Ludlum movie, a born a Jason Bourne movie. And I think, I think to answer your question, I, and I've never really, <coughs> I've never really thought about it too much, but I think I just do it 
as if I'm seeing it in a movie. And he, he turned, he turned to the, you know, he turned to Natasha and he said, and then, and so I see it as a movie and then I try and write that as best as I can in each sort of plot point and each um, mini, mini story of each chapter that it is. I actually did think that when I was reading it is that this would be really easy to like turn into like a movie or a mini series. It's interesting because I, um, as an actor, I worked with a, um, an Oscar winning producer called Graham Broadbent on a movie called Welcome to Sarajevo. I just had a little part in it. I was working behind the camera and I sort of kept in touch and I sent it, I sent the book to Graham all these years later because he, he said, Oh, is it, is it, would it make a good Netflix series? And 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 that's obviously what he's looking for right now, um, and it's really more of a single movie, my, my book. But I think that is the way of the world now. Like I love watching Netflix movies. I I kind of almost don't want to watch a movie because it's going to be over in an hour and a half, and I like to know that I'm gonna you know be 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 doing this for ten hours, and then sometimes you get a second and a third series. Isn't it great? I re- I recently discovered Bloodline, which I'd never watched, and it's like three series. And it was so fantastic. It was so exciting to, to find a series that you that you can watch forever and ever. Um, but yeah, so so you know, um, Graham didn't didn't pick up my book, as they say. Yeah, I I mean it, that's obviously every writer's dream for a book to be made into a miniseries. I think you know my book personally was is more of a movie. It's a you know more of a sort of one standalone movie. I I still when I when I wrote the second book. Then I started thinking, oh, maybe maybe it could be a movie, you know, over sort of like like a uh, an epic series of The Crown. Um, but it's it's you don't think about that when you're writing it. I mean, personally, I don't. Maybe I should try some screenwriting as well. But you know, I just want to. I just like the idea of writing a single single standalone novel. But then I turned it into a series. Hyde Park Deception is coming out soon. Uh, is there anything you can tell us about that? Hyde Park Deception is book two in the Deception series, and I can tell you that it starts in London and Jack Steele is on Queen's Lifeguard, which is the household cavalry ceremonial unit in London. And something terrible happens to his brother while he's on duty. Um, but I was in the household cavalry, Prince Harry's regiment. Um, it's called the household cavalry, the lifeguards. It was at the time. It's the uh, senior regiment in the British army formed in 1660. So the plot begins in London uh, Jack still ends up being sent to Bosnia to save World War Three in Europe. Oh, that sounds good. <laughs> do you think you'll do uh, other books after the second one? Yeah, so so there is a third uh, in the pipeline. Uh, I may change the title. It's called Sarajevo Deception right now, but, but I want to bring it more up to date. And so, yes, um, currently two books, but hopefully there will be a third and possibly more. Awesome. Well, thank you for talking to me today. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And everybody, you guys can borrow North Korea Deception by Richard Litton at the Swampscott Public Library. 